I want to share with you um, about where we left off. Would you please turn with me to Romans, the fifth chapter? When we left off, um, this has been an amazing place in Scripture. I've studied the book of Romans before. Uh, I noted back in my, uh, some notes that I taught it way back in the 90s, 1990-something. Um, and I, I, I went through this, but this book has really impacted me this time differently than any other time. I don't, my memory is so bad, I don't remember what I taught back then anyways. But I do know this, that this book has been an impact on my life like very few that I've ever gone through and studied before. This book is just amazing. I don't know what it is, but I am seeing things that I assume that is, is of Paul more deeply than ever before. Like the whole idea in the first few chapters of how he just brought people to their knees, in, in essence, that they had nowhere to look but up. And then how he took them from there and he encouraged them and used uh, Abraham and he used David to, to share with them that, that it's all based on faith. It's not what you do. Your, your being good enough is not at issue. You aren't good enough. He made sure that we understood that. He made sure that we knew that, that, that there are none of us who are righteous. And so he wanted us to know that everything had to come through faith. Well, one of the one of the problems when you teach this particular place in Scripture is you get to the place where someone would say, well then, you mean to say, I am so secure in who I am and in Christ that I don't have to worry anymore. I mean, I don't have to do anything or, 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 or become anything or, 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 or none of that. I'm, I'm, I'm as much a part of heaven right now as, as if I were dead. And the truth of that is, yes, you are a much a part of heaven right now as if you have passed away. Because you don't hold your salvation in your hands. It never has been our property. It has always been a gift that the Lord God has given to us. And so it's a wonderful place. But if just take a look to the next chapter. We won't, who knows when we'll get there. But <laughs> look at chapter 6 and verse 1. The, the perfect response was, they said, well, what shall we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace might increase? In other words, so that the, 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 the goodness of God will flow even richer? Let us sin more. Make God look better, basically, is what they're saying. And of course, Paul says in the next verse, no, God forbid, may that never be. And so what is being taught now is the very essence of the security of a believer in their walk with Jesus Christ. What needs to take place in your life and my life once we come to Christ is growth. We need to grow. We need to become more and more the people of God that God's called us to be. Uh, sorry, I just came to my mind when I saw Sue. When, when, when David said to you, Standing on this side is so much different than sitting because he gets to look into your lovely faces. And he's right. I've always recognized that, but when he said it, made it more real to me. How much I love you people. It's, it's, you're an easy lot to love. You really are. And so uh, I just want to thank you for affording us this church and affording us the opportunity to help each other grow because that's what we're all about. The Rock Community Church is committed to, to that fact, 
to study the Word of God for one purpose, that maybe you become more and more comfortable with the Bible and in your faith so that you can go to your loved ones or whomever you come in contact with and, and give them this wonderful and rich opportunity to understand more about your Savior. And that's what we're all about. But the whole process of being saved, it's not in your hands, nor mine. It's all in God's. And that's what Paul is, is teaching us. Now, I want you to read with me. I know we've already studied verses 1 and 2, and we're going to kind of go over them because it's been two weeks back. But I want us to read to verse 5. And the only reason we're going that far is because of verse 3. The title of this, of this message, and I never know how to title a message, but I always look for something in the Scriptures. And, and Paul uses four words. He says, and not only this, and not only this. In other words, not only, not only do you have peace with God, not only do you have access to the Father anytime you want to, not only do you have this glorious hope, but there's more. Now, what's more will to some look like, huh, I just assumed I didn't have that much more. Because what it is is trials, tribulations, persecution. It comes into our lives as believers. And what Paul is saying is we can rejoice in that as well. He said, I, in Philippians, he says, I, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I've found myself. And that's the truth. That's the truth. So let's read verses 1 through 5. I would love for you to get familiar, familiarize yourself with these verses because, well, even more, as you're going to see as we go on from here, this is a glorious place in the Word of God. Therefore, he says in verse 1, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction, better word, our access, by faith into this grace in which we stand. And, he says, we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this. Not only this, he says, but we also exult in our tribulations knowing that our tribulations bring about perseverance. And our perseverance, I'm going to add two words, bring about proven character. And our proven character brings about hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Listen, that's hallelujah, gloria time. I mean, it's unbelievable the promises that God has given us in these five verses. They're, they're beyond anything that you can ever know or want to understand about the Bible. In and of this self here is just so much. And, and, and it gets only richer. Watch, forgive me for this, but just look what we got ahead of us. Look at verse 6. And I know I'm not going to do that today, but look, while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One would hardly die for a righteous person, although perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. And I'm going to read this verse to you today, but listen. Verse 8. God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Folks, I'm telling you, this is some wonderful place in Scripture. 
And I pray by the grace of God. In fact, we'll pray right now. It was really interesting. In the first service, I was out talking, you know, as much. And Gina was sitting right over there, and she goes, don't forget to pray. <laughs> Which I love. I love you guys for that. I, I would love for us to be so casual that you could talk up and say, you know, enough, or you made a mistake, or whatever. But I, I, do, I do love the, the informality of this church. I love the, the sense of family. I do love that very much. And uh, I'd like to cultivate that. So, Father, just bless us. And bless us by this. Uh, teach us. Help us to become the people that you created us to be. Conform us, Father, through the Holy Spirit that, that has been given to us. Conform us into the image of your Son. Help us to become more and more like Jesus. Father, I, I, I do not want to get in the way of, of this message. It's really too, too important, too powerful. And so what I ask, dear Lord, is that you would remove me from, from this equation. Not, not in the sense that, you know, I, I know it's hard to even say this, but just, just move me aside, Father, so that I do not interfere with what you want to say in each of our hearts. And, and I love, Father, what you've written or had written for us in Psalms, that, that, that we could behold wonderful things, wonderful things from your law. And so, Father, as the psalmist wrote, open up our eyes so that we might behold these wonderful things. Bless us, Father, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I don't know if you noticed, Doc, I sat during the prayer. I'm doing better. Okay. I love Doc Stroman. I love Doc I'll shout it from the rooftops. I love Doc Stroman. He is one of the Great men in our community. Great men. Great doctor. Okay, Paul's been hitting it hard. He's been hitting it hard on the idea of being secure in salvation. Now I'm just going to roll over some of the things that we talked about before because you're going to see how amazing all of this is when it kind of fits in together. In chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, which we just read, Paul teaches the benefits that you and I securely have because of our faith in Christ. Now, if you are here and you've not asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior as yet, we beg of you to consider that. We beg of you to, to, to understand what our Lord is saying to you when He asks you to trust in Him for your eternal soul. He doesn't ask you to, to go to and join a church. He doesn't ask you to, to give up your money or to do anything. He asks of you by faith to trust in Him for your salvation. Because there is no other way to salvation, he clearly tells us. There is but one way. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, Jesus says. And nobody can come to the Father but through me. And so we offer to you this salvation, and it is by faith. Now here's the, here's the good part. Nobody can make you do this. It, it is a choice that, that you must make on your own. Here's the better part. Nobody can stop you. Nobody can stop you from asking Christ into your heart. It's a decision. It's a choice that you'll make. So, I ask that you will do that. I'll ask you to consider it. And so the benefits of, of being saved are this. First and foremost, we have peace. But not just peace. And, and, and not this phony 
statement of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. It's not that. It's a peace that we have with God, as it says in verse 1. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we have in verse 2, we have therefore access, immediate access by faith, it says, into this grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor in which we stand. In other words, we can come to the Lord our God in prayer at any moment, at any time, for any reason. And distance isn't a barrier. We can pray for a loved one that might be in China or in Hawaii or, or my grandson who right now is being driven by ambulance to the hospital because they think he might have broken his leg. I could pray for him and be just as if I'm on the ambulance asking God to watch over him, care for him, be with him. We can come to our Lord and he always hears us. Caveat is, doesn't always answer us as we would wish. He answers us according to His will, which is going to be beneficial for His plan, which only He really knows. We are just asked to be a part of it. Thirdly, in, in the second verse, we have a joyous hope. We have the joy of our salvation, it says in verse 5, that has been poured out upon us. Verse 2, it says we exalt, we, we are overjoyed in this hope of the glory of God. Now, I taught two weeks ago when I was here, or three, I forget how that goes, but, but I taught that the, the biblical concept of hope is not to be confused with the secular idea of hope. Secular idea of hope is, I hope he'll be okay. I hope as you drive, oh, I hope you, you know. It's not this. It's not an I hope. This, this hope that we have of God is a certainty. It's a certainty because it's our hope in God has been certified by His promise to us. And His promise to us, because He cannot lie, we are told in Hebrews, is the anchor of our soul. It's what we stand upon more than anything else that we have. In fact, let me read to you what I read to you about two or three weeks ago when I was here. It says in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17, 18, and 19, it says the same way God interposed to us an oath. That's the 17th verse. 18th verse, he says, it's impossible for God to lie. 19th verse is this. We take hold of this hope. It says we have this hope as an anchor of our soul. Note, a hope, it says, that is steadfast and it is sure. It is a hope that enters within the veil. In other words, within the veil means into the very presence of God. Now, the loss of hope for some has driven many a person to despair and ruin. And so what we need to understand is what the Bible promises us. We have this hope that, that Paul writes of in this book of Romans, the 8th chapter, though, in the 28th verse, he says, We know this, Paul says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those of us who love Him and to those of us who are called according to His purpose, not ours. So that's our hope. We have peace. We have access. We have hope. And that takes care of the past, our present, and the future, by the way. In the past, because of what Christ did upon the cross, we have peace with God. That was taken care of in the past by Jesus. 
what is in the present is because of our faith in Christ, we now have access to God. Right now. Go to Him in any, for any reason you want. Let Him know your heart and tell Him what you want to pray for. And we know it's going to be cared for because listen to what the writer of Hebrews says, the 7th chapter, the 25th verse. Hebrews 7.25. The writer says, He is able to save forever. Let me read that again. He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Christ. Since He always lives to make intercession for us. In other words, He intercedes on our behalf over our prayers. So the past, the present, and also the future is secure. The future is secure because God is unchangeable. He will not lie in what He promises He will produce. And so it says in the second verse, we can stand and also we can exult in the hope of His glory. Can you imagine? Heaven is just a breath away. Just a breath away. Have you ever been in the presence of someone who has just passed on? Doc, I'm sure you have a bunch. Have you ever been in the presence of someone who's just passed on to be with the Lord? Being in the ministry, I have, by the way, hospital visitations is not my gift. Man, it is really not. The other day I went with Pastor Fred to see uh, Susie, who's in the hospital, and she's having liver problems. Well, I didn't know what liver problems. I've never seen a, a color of a person like that in my life. She was, she was like mustard. I mean, she was mustard color. I walked in that room. I saw her. It almost dropped me to my knees. Here I am, the pastor, to bring hope, and I start to cry. And they start comforting me. The family is now comforting the pastor. And all along, Fred's this happy-go-lucky. He's happy. Things, she's looking better today. And blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> you know, they know from my countenance, she's in deep trouble. And, and, and I'm... I'm thinking, I felt terrible that, that I can't hold myself together. And yet, I've been in the presence of someone who died. I remember there was a dear friend that we had over at the other church, and, and his wife was dying, and, and we were at the hospital. Kay and I were there with his daughter and him, and, and we were singing hymns to his wife as she laid in the, in the hospital bed. And, and I don't know what uh, made me do it. I, I looked up, and I looked at the all that stuff, you know, by the bed. And, and all of a sudden I saw this, you know, the heartbeat thing going and it just went boom and it went like that. And I said, Jim, I think Sharon just went to be with the Lord. And we just rejoiced. It was a, it was a moment that was amazingly calm for me and really rejoiceful. I felt sad for him as... His wife, I felt sorry and sad for his daughter that her mother had gone to be with the Lord. But there was a calm. And if you want to talk about a calm of calms, to be in a, someone whose last breath has just been their last and they're going to be with the Lord was, was with my dad. Um, if you had asked me beforehand, would you like to have been right there in, in, in front of him when he died? I would have said, no, please let... Let, let me hear about it. You know, someone call me. But the Lord gave me the greatest privilege 
and I consider it that, is I got to hold my dad in my, in his, we were in Hawaii and we were last day on our vacation and, and he collapsed in the closet and he was, he didn't fall, bless his heart, man. He was a, you guys would have loved him. He's a tough, boy, he's a good guy. And he was against the wall like this and my mom said, you know, come up here, come up here, you know, and went and I grabbed him and I said, dad, you okay? And he wouldn't breathe, he wasn't breathing and, he, and I tried to help him to breathe and I just crushed him in my arms, you know, just saying over and over again, you know, I love you so much. <coughs> I didn't even cry that much at that moment. I, I was amazingly calm. Um, but we have in the future a hope. We have in the future a, a hope that has been promised to us by God, and he cannot lie. And so heaven is just a breath away for those of us who have trusted in Christ. So with all of that, with all of those three things, peace with God, access to the Father at any time, any place, anywhere, glorious hope in our future, Paul says, and not only this. And man, when you come to that place in Scripture and you're reading, and I would encourage not to when you read the Bible, whatever you want to do, you do. Reading the Bible is your style is the best, but I always like to read in little chunks because I like to mull over the words. What, what does this mean? What if I said that? What if I did that? You know, that type of thing. And when I come to, and not only this, I'm thinking, wait a minute. I've just got peace with God. I've got access to the Father anytime I want to, and Jesus intercedes for me. And I have a hope that I'm going to go to heaven. Not only this, what else is there? What nicer things do I have? And then Paul throws this at us. He says, and not only this, you're going to exalt in your tribulations. And I said, oh, that's what you think, Paul. (laughs) No. Paul makes a tremendous promise. We'll exalt in our tribulations because that means sufferings. You can't sugarcoat it knowing that the suffering that we go through is going to bring about perseverance. That's the ability to stick in there, hang in there. And perseverance will bring about a proven character. Now this is a word that I don't think you know, and I'm going to try and teach you this morning. It is amazing what proven character is. And then proven character brings about within our lives hope, and hope is the very anchor of yours and my salvation and soul. We hope in the glory of God. And hope, Paul says, won't disappoint you. Because, he says, it's the love of God that has been poured out within your heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. That unbreakable chain that we just read internally binds you and me, a believer, to Jesus Christ and gives us reason to exalt. Now, Paul uses the word exalt in verse 2 as well as in verse 3. And the same word, exalt, is K-A-U-C-H-A-O-M-A-I. I always just spell that out for you. Number one, because I can't pronounce it. Number two, it's the Greek word. And the Greek word has a, a very specific meaning. Paul says it means to be jubilant. It means to be rejoicing. He is saying we are to be jubilant, rejoicing, even within our tribulations or our sufferings. We are to rejoice. 
And, and as a Christian, it's not, it's not that we rejoice like, like the English would say, stiff upper lip. No, no, no. We're not, we're not reacting to a terrible situation saying, well, since there's nothing I can do about it, I might as well not get upset about it. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, since God is in control, and since God loves you, as he says in verse 5, giving you the Holy Spirit, as he says in verse 5, then the most bitter human experience that you're called upon to endure, death, disease, the loss of a loved one, war, terror, illness, these and more, they become not only tolerable, but you can actually rejoice in them because we know that what God has promised to us, He'll fulfill. And He is saying that this time here on this earth is, is just, a, it's just a breath, a breath away from heaven. And once we get there, here's what He promises us. I turned already to it. Just listen. If you want to look at it, you can later or now. It's in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3, 4, and 5. Just listen, though. Listen to what Paul uh, excuse me, John writes. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. They'll be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And, verse 4, he's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. These first things have passed away. And then he goes to say in verse 5, And he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. He told John, Write, for these words are faithful and they are true. And so, we are not to, we are not to fear. We have no reason to fear the future. But we have every reason to rejoice. Because we have a divinely secure hope, which is our promised destiny. As it says in verse 2, we, we live and we stand in the hope and the glory of God. That's our rightful place. So Jesus Christ himself guarantees you and me our future because he is our hope. That's what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Talking of Jesus Christ, he says, He is our hope, our promise, our security. Now, nevertheless, we have the Lord's assurance, the Bible tells us, that one day we not only will behold His divine glory, but we will also partake in it. Listen to Paul's promise when he talks about going to be with the Lord in, that, in that, that glorious moment, that twinkling of an eye. He writes in, in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, from verses 50 to 58. He says, I say this, brethren. Now he's speaking to the family of God. I say this, brethren. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But behold, he says, I'm going to tell you a mystery. Ooh, I love that. I love when I see those types of words in the Bible. I want to tell you a mystery, he says. What is it, Paul? 
He says, we're not all going to sleep, meaning die. We're going to all be changed. In a moment, he says. In the twinkling of an eye, he says. At the last trumpet, he says. The trumpet's going to sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. We will be changed, he says. This perishable will put on the imperishable. This mortal will put on immortality. He goes on to say in the 55th verse of that, of that 15th chapter, O death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? There is none anymore. Thanks be to God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says this, Therefore, in the 58th verse of that chapter, of the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he says, Therefore, be steadfast. I like that he encourages us to continue on in the work of the service. Listen, be steadfast, be immovable, always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. So, back to Romans 5, 3, verse 3, we exalt in our tribulations. Tribulations meaning feeling the pressure, under pressure. Listen, I, I know, I'm fully aware that one of the least attractive promises that God gives us is that those who are faithful in Christ can be certain of being under pressure or going through trials or having tribulations. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul assures Timothy of this fact, and us, by the way. He says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Read that again. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Some of you might be saying, I didn't sign up for that. I signed up for heaven. I don't think I want that persecution stuff. To which I think some people can say, yeah, I know, it shows. It shows some's resistance to God's authority within their life. You know, being in the ministry and, and, and being in this place that I've been in for these years, it's, it's really easy to keep people happy. It is. You just always tell them yes. That's, that's all you have to do. The carpet's too dark. Yes. Yes. I'll change it. This carpet's a little too light. I think we need it darker. Yes. Yeah, I think we need darker carpet. Yes. You know the music is getting louder? Yes. Yes. Do you know that the music's not quite loud enough? If we really want to attract young people, we've got to ramp it up. Yes. Let's get more speakers. Yes. You know when trouble hits? <sighs> If you have enough courage to say, no, we can't do that. We prayed about it. We'd love to, but we can't. No. <laughs> Often we hear, well, I'm going somewhere where they'll tell me yes. Yeah, that's, you hear that. You see, trials um, are a part of our lives. So much so that the last beatitude that our Lord gave on the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 of Matthew, verses 10, 11, and 12, he says, persecution will bring about blessings in your life. 
Listen to what he says, his very words. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you or persecute you or falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, Jesus said. Rejoice, be glad, because he says your reward in heaven is going to be great. Because in the same way they persecuted the prophets who came before you. Persecution and tribulations, the pressure for the sake of Christ is a guarantee of our future glory. So rejoice in them. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4.17, Momentarily light affliction, Paul assures us, is producing for you an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. That's something. All persecution for the sake of Jesus Christ is evidence that you and I are living a Christ-like life. Jesus said to his disciples and to us, he says, remember the word that I said to you. He said, a slave is not greater than his master. If, he said, they persecuted me, what? They're going to persecute you. It's part of it. Paul said with unreserved confidence in Romans, this great book, Romans, the 8th chapter, the 18th verse, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. I believe that. I don't always understand it. And I'm a half-empty guy, so it's hard for me to deal with when I have trials. I want to... whatever. But I believe that. It's the core of my belief. I don't always handle it good, but I believe it. So tribulation, therefore, suffering that I'm going through, is going to bring about perseverance in, in our lives, your life, my life. And that word is translated often in the King James. If you have a King James Bible, it's translated patience. Tribulation will bring about patience. I would encourage you, I've heard a lot of people, I, if you want to pray for me, would you pray that I have patience? And I, I almost, I gasp when I hear that. I, I don't ever pray that I get patience. Patience means you have to go through trials to really understand and deal with patience. I've never asked anybody in my lifetime since I learned this lesson to pray for me for patience. I don't handle trials when they just come, let alone asking the Lord, give me patience, Father. No, I'm okay. I'll try to learn. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> See, perseverance carries the idea of endurance, the ability to stick through it. That I think I do have. The ability to continue working. The ability to continue serving. The ability to, to face strong opposition and great obstacles and continue moving forward. Now, perseverance in return produces proven character. And I don't think you know what that means. I don't think. At least I didn't. But the Greek word tells us. The Greek word is D-O-K-I-M-E. It means proof. Perseverance, going through trials, is going to prove something about you. The word really means, it's talking about a metalsmith, a, a, a man that deals with, with precious metal, gold or silver or things like that. For a, 
for a, uh, a metalsmith to prove that what he has is pure, he puts it in fire. It has to go through intense heat, fire, to cleanse it of all impurities. That's what happens when we go through the tribulations and we handle it with perseverance. We become proven of who we are in Christ. God uses tribulations in our lives, yours and mine, to cleanse us from all spiritual impurities. James, in James chapter 1, verse 12 says, he assures us this. Look at what James says. Blessed is the man or woman who preserves under trials. For once he has been approved, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord God has, here's the key word, promised them to those who love him. Which now, back to Romans chapter 5, verse 4, full circle, we come back to that word hope. It was in verse 2, here it is again in verse 4. Our hope in God, in His glory, and in His love, seems to be increased, the Bible seems to say, and strengthened through the process of tribulation, perseverance, and proven character. And the end product of all of that is hope. And Paul writes in verse 5, this hope, it won't disappoint you. It doesn't disappoint. Because, listen, because the love of God has been poured out within your heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. That unbreakable chain that eternally binds a believer to Jesus Christ is our possession of His love, which has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. When a person receives salvation through Jesus Christ, they enter into a spiritual love relationship with God that lasts forever. Do you know why? Well, you can't break it. You see, many people think it's our love of God. No, he's never entrusted us with that. We're too wishy-washy. No, he's talking about his love for us. It's monumental. He's not expecting you to hold on to it. We're humans. We're frail. No, no, he's talking about his love, which has been poured out upon us lavishly, through the Holy Spirit who indwells us. The most overwhelming truth in the Bible and the most simplest truth in the Bible is that, that God loves you. What do we teach our kids when they first come to Sunday school class? I, I understand. Yeah, Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells you so. That's the underlying truth of Scripture. He loves you. So much so that he gave, as it says in John 3.16, his only begotten son, that whosoever of us would believe in him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. Just as I said, I'd tell you in verse 8, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we are sinners, our Savior died for us. So, if that were not enough, God graciously imparts his love to us, not just a little bit, but he pours it out. That word pours out, 
refers to a lavish outpouring that overflows. You can't handle it. I hope you've ever felt that love of God that just overwhelms you. I hope you've had that experience. The very fact that God the Father has given the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, to indwell you and me is in itself a wonderful, marvelous testimony of His love for us. Because only the indwelling of the Spirit are we able to return that love. That's how we return it. The Spirit teaches us. Our spiritual security is not in our ability to live godly lives. Our spiritual security is in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit that lives within us to make us godly. Listen to what Romans tells us. Romans chapter 4, I mean, excuse me, chapter 8. We'll get to it eventually. Paul states clearly, All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear, he says, but you received a spirit of adoption as sons, children, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. You know what that means? Daddy, Daddy. We can call God Daddy. Paul writes, The Spirit himself testifies within our spirit that we're children of God, and if we're children, we are heirs. We are heirs of God, and we are fellow heirs of Jesus Christ. If indeed, he says, we suffer with him, so that we might be glorified with him. So suffering's a part of it. I wish I didn't have to tell us that. I mean, I wish I could say, you've got to suffer. I'm over with it. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't have to. But we all do. So we rejoice in it. We're not masochists, not by any stretch of the imagination. We rejoice because we have peace with God. We have access to Him anytime we need. And we have a hope that He will never leave us nor forsake us. So that makes Paul write not only this, all of this other. So let's pray. And then I want to read you a, a, a letter. I get received. Um, Father, please bless us. Thank you so much for your kindness. The uh, ebb and flow of, of church and, and all that we do is, is really interesting, Father, to watch your hand upon, upon our lives so that we can rejoice in difficulties and in, in great things too. I found by some that I've dealt with that are really successful as far as the world is concerned, some of the people I've dealt with that are beyond successful are some of them are the most miserable. And so, Father, it's not the joy of, of this world that, that gives us the peace and our access to you and, and this hope. It's, it's the fact that you're our Father and we can call you Daddy and you love us. Thank you for that, Father. Bless us as we go from here. I pray your blessings upon us in Jesus' name. Amen.